0: hey everyone welcome to the coaching for your life podcast this is jose miguel and i'm here with two special guests today um, colleagues of mine who actually i work with and we're here to have a conversation in regards to the black lives matter movement race social injustices i have danelius king who is the senior counselor for this eop program at suny polytechnic institute and then i have Mosa press who is the director of the eop program and Multicultural Affairs Director for SUNY Poly. Thank you to the both of you for joining the podcast today. I really appreciate you coming on and being guests for this special show. Um, This was something that out of conversation of us having through work and just general conversation and checking in with each other that I thought would be a good idea to share with other people on how are people feeling, what they're experiencing. But I think from an educational standpoint, obviously we serve in education. That's what we do every single day. How can we educate the white folks out there who are ultimately trying to figure out a way to be allies, trying to figure out a way to be partners, but also you know this idea of what does white privilege really mean um, and what does it look like when people talk about um white supremacy, because I feel that there's generational gaps that know what that is, and there's gaps of it where it doesn't know where it comes from. So let's start out by diving into what is actually happening right now, from your point of view and how you're feeling, uh, but also tell our audience a little bit about who you guys are, and whoever wants to jump in, go ahead.
1: You introduce Danilius first, so he can go first.
2: <coughs> how are you? My name is Danilius King, That's Jose. I uh, said, and thank you for having me. Um, I've worked in EOP for 14 years, a uh, lifelong member of, of the Utica community. Um, and I'm also an adjunct professor of sociology in the Utica community.
1: Okay, and I'm Melissa Prest, and um, I was born in Utica, but my dad was in the military, so I've lived some of everywhere. So I've um, just, yeah, I've just always experienced multiculturalness because of just my upbringing, and came back to the Utica area. I want to say in like my preteens, finished school here, and yeah, I'd, I've been with EOP since about a year now, but I have always um, admired the program. (laughs) Um, I've I've known Daniela since we were kids and I just always just admired him as a a black man um, navigating this world and also in his position. So that's me.
0: Thank you for that. So for people who don't know what EOP is, I can give what it actually means as an acronym, right? So it's equal opportunity program right educational educational opportunity. opportunity program but why don't you guys talk about so that people who are listening may not know what it means um what that is and what do you what what the work that you do on a day-to-day basis and why this conversation is so important also when we talk about individuals that attend our institution or any institution for that matter that may, that are living through this period that we are in right now So the
2: Education Opportunity Program has been around for about uh, over 50 years in in New York State. It started in New York State, quickly spread to similar states that had, um, uh, quickly spread to other states that had similar demographics as ours. Large population of people of color, African American, uh, Hispanic. and and other. It's a state funded initiative designed to increase the number of historically underrepresented populations, uh, specifically for students who demonstrate the potential to succeed in college, but uh, who have risk factors uh, primarily stemming from poverty that might prevent them from being the best student that they could be. And so these students would not be admitted under traditional admission standards. Um, So they come in a little bit under uh, the traditional mission standards. And then uh, with uh, some wraparound services, specifically uh, financial, uh, academic, and cultural and social programs, uh, students uh, will graduate, do well, and and, and move on and, and become um,
0: economic viable contributors of our society. Melissa, do you have anything from your perspective to add to that?
1: I feel like he explained it perfectly. I think that um, I would just really um, emphasize the fact that we're talking about historically disadvantaged populations here. I think that speaks a lot to the conversation that we're gonna have today.
0: Yes, and I think oftentimes what people don't recognize that these individuals who are coming through this opportunity program, not just educational, but it's experiential. This is perhaps the first person in their family to go to college, right? So their first generation. Um, And in many cases, how that impacts your family and the value that it brings to him and the sense of, you know, you're making it to that next level is super, super important and the experience the student gets. Tell me a little bit about how your work in the EOP program, but also as an educational professional, has impacted you through this period of the Black Lives Movement that just came above due to George Floyd's murder.
1: Well, for me, um, I've had this conversation a few times this these past weeks, couple of weeks. And <clears throat> I think that for me, as I say, like I, I grew up a lot multicultural, you know what I mean? So for me, it's it's a lot of learning. It's a lot of learning. It's a lot of helping to share my experience with other people, you know what I mean? Who, people who don't necessarily look like me. <laughs> and um, also just, trying to look back on my own life experiences and kind of tie them into everything that's happening right now and also the things that I'm learning. So that's for me.
0: Can you repeat the question? So from your perspective as an educator, what do you think is the biggest things that are from what's happening right now? How do you think that's impacted you and what do you think it should look like moving forward?
2: how's it impacted me um i think as an educator um uh, it's an opportunity to teach um is to teach our students um, family members um you know everyone around us uh, about the historical uh context of what we're going through how um we see pictures of uh, during the during the civil rights era of things that people of color or people who supported civil rights went through and, and we see pictures in 2020 and how they're very, very much the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, um, we're working with students and we have young family members who are living uh, at a time where we thought that things would be better now. And so as educators and adults, you know, we have an obligation to, to uh, provide a life that is safe for our young people, and so we bear the responsibility to to leave this leave you know a society in in a good place. And so I think it's 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 uh, it's it's disheartening to know that we are we are putting our children, and I would include our students under that banner of children, we're putting them out into the world, sending them out into a world that we know is is unsafe for them. And so it's it's a mix of emotions, but, but obviously a time to educate them on the importance of knowing their history, on the importance of civic engagement, the importance of uh, voting, uh, the importance of being involved, you know, politics and, you know, things like that. Um, and also the importance of um, loving who you are and supporting, you know, people who look like you because oftentimes if you're not connected with people who have shared values in times like these you know we can be segmented and and it's it's lonely and and it's scary i
0: think your your response is a good segue because my my one of my thoughts was how has this movement today the black Lives matter movement been different than the ones we've seen in the last few years and also how do you think that compares to the civil rights movement. You mentioned that some of the images are very similar. Um, But what do you think is driving the force behind it? The Black Lives movement has become a household name. Um, So to speak, people know what that is, but people really don't know what it means. Um, So what do you think are are the similarities from this current movement that we're seeing right now compared to the ones in the past? Well, for me, I
1: would think that What I stark contrast to the pictures that I see is the fact that more people who technically feel that they're not um, affected by these things that affect um, these populations of people are getting involved, are speaking up, are raising their voice, are, you know, doing what they can to try to tackle this from a systematic standpoint rather than just, you know what I mean, rather than just something that, oh, this is a people of color problem and this is something that they kind of need to fix i feel like there's much more of a genuine consensus that oh this stuff has been going on and this isn't right and it's going to take everybody to make it better
2: yeah i mean there's obviously a lot of similarities you know if you look at the civil rights era we had um some of our famous Black leaders and supporters who are leading, um, you know, the cause and the movements uh, from different parts of the country, um, really uh, standing up for what we would call human rights, uh, just asking for uh, uh, Black people, specifically, uh, getting equal rights, human rights, you know, that, that white people get... Just from waking up in the morning, um, and so I think at this point with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, um, <clears throat> one of the differences is that social media has helped to propel that. You know, mm-hmm. there's there's these different memes and, and these quotes and things going around, but in one of them, and I don't know if Will Smith was the first one to say it, but it says something like, you know, um, what racism not being new, it's just Getting filmed now. And so I think social media has helped to propel this movement along with um, the stance that Colin Kaepernick controversially took. Um, and then, you know, um, people are spreading, it, sharing the, the sentiments. But I think this most recent, uh, what I would call a state sponsored murder, uh, the difference between that and the other one last 100 that we know about um people are showing up daily um we're seeing uh, you know like the minneapolis police uh minneapolis council has just disbanded their police department we we haven't seen that type of reaction in a long time so i think america is responding a little bit different to this one probably because of how uh, vivid and and, uh, the video was how little room little wiggle room there was for the story to be um misconstrued or holes to be poked into it this was about as open and shut of a case as we've seen and then Certain people's response to it, I think, has has um, uh, given the Black Lives Matter movement some more fire. So it's from our leaders, so the the way that Donald Trump responded to it makes people want to march more. Uh, the way that um, the Minneapolis uh, the police officers responded to it um make some you know the, the the initial medical examiner report it just so it it is firing people up and the fact that right now it's probably the best time for people to get involved because everybody's home everybody's home during covid people don't really you know you can want to support a cause but at the end of the day if you have to go to work you have to make that decision do you stand up for a a, a social cause or do you put food on the table for your family? Well, right now, people are home and and everybody's tuned in. And so I think um, all of that together makes this moment a little bit more special. But as far as the Black Lives Matter movement, that's been going on for a while. And I don't know if it started with the um, Michael Brown thing. I'm not sure. Right around that time um, with Darren Wilson down in um I forget that, that town, but it's been going on for a while and um, it is gaining a lot of traction. And I'm telling you, every day, small towns, big cities, they are protesting and people are serious. And, and it's spread throughout different countries. I mean, you're talking London and Greece. And, and I'm like, wow. You know, so I think this one is a little bit different.
0: From an educational perspective, what would you want to tell the person who, because I think, you know, conversation wise, I think it's important that we know there's a lot of people out there that don't really know how a person of color feels with what's going on and how to like support them or even interact with them and say, I feel a certain way for what's happening for you. They don't even know how to express those words simply by just saying that. How would you how would you try and help educate someone who has no idea, let's say, for example,' it's someone who's never seen a black person and they're seeing this information on t v and they're trying to like decipher what's true and what do I read and what do I learn? How would you talk to them about it?
1: Denise you can take
2: this one so uh for me there's there's many things that we can do there, there is There's many ways to bake a cake, right and so uh i would tell uh supporters and i asked get this question asked a lot especially white allies um to be humble to become a listener um watch movies that will that you can watch in the privacy of your own home in a comfortable space to like just mercy or the help or Django or there's a million of them out there right and you watch movies like that just to get some of the education because I think it's irresponsible for people to look at a situation like this as a one-off or a protest riot or looting but if you look at it as a rebellion an uprising it has historical context historical significance and then you can understand that a people a group of people who a lineage of people who have suffered for 400 years, and to say that with all of that 400 years of anguish and despair and disenfranchisement, to just be burning a police car down or a building or yelling or rioting or protesting, to me, I think it's it's pretty nice of a group of people who have been suffering for, for that long. America is predicated on violence, burning, down cities, raping people, taking over. That's how America was built. That's how the world gets conquered. That's the colonization. And what we see is a group of people who've been brutalized for for many years. I think um, we should be lucky and happy that the Black Lives Matter movement, the protesters are not destroying whole cities from infrastructure to everything to where you have to start all over again. Um, so, you know, I, what can people do? Well, we could understand what white privilege is. There are many people who don't, white people who don't understand what white privilege is. You know, and I liken it to, be, to explain it to, to people. It's built in advantage. You know, generational, you know, pass-throughs that are separate from an individual's income or um, efforts. It's, it, it's a superpower in America. If people don't believe it, all you got to do is look at the videos where you see Black people are, they are, that are about to have an interaction with police officers. And then some white folks will stand in front of them and the police won't touch them. I mean, this is as real as I, I, I don't know a better example to show white privilege than that. And that person probably knew that if they step, stepped in front of that Black person, the police wouldn't harm them. You know, and so to be white in America is to never have to know the black experience. To be black in America is to always have to know. And if you ever forget, your life is in danger. And, and, and that's really what it is. And what could white people do? When white people could use their white privilege to deliberately put black people in positions of authority. Um, you know, at the same time that black people, people of color are building and creating their own table, white allies need to deliberately put black people at the table, because if you're not at the table, then you're on the menu. Mm
1: -hmm. It's really that simple for me. That was a good thing. You (laughs) brought something to my mind, Denise, when you just did that analogy about the, um, the white person stepping in front of. I've heard a lot of these protests that have been happening, they've actually been using that. They've been truly using that analogy. Like, they'll be protesting, and the, the, the people of color, if you will, will be in the front line. And then as the, they'll see, like, the um, the police or whomever get getting ready to, you know, I don't know, get violent or whatever, they will yell out, white shield, white shield. And then the group of white people will come and stand in front of the and and it's just an amazing thing to see that to like really see this in front of your eyes and like how can people not like you say correlate that to like that's total white revolution
0: I started bursting out into tears. I was watching on I think it was Saturday. I know I texted you guys yesterday but I was watching something on the news and it was an extensive video. They showed the whole entire clip of this young African American boy and he was with this white girl and they were, the police were coming to where they were, not that the people were moving towards the police, right? So this young man was standing there and the police kept coming closer and the white girl stepped in and I didn't hear them say white shield, but I could believe that that's actually what's happening. And she just steps in and they backed up a little bit and then she moved away and they started coming closer and then she stood and she said no. No, and she kept saying it over and over again and he was on his knees as if they were going to attack him because he knew that if he moved so then she dropped to her knees and and was kneeled in front of him it was so powerful to see that and it wasn't even just from the separation of white versus black it was also the male and the female this little girl who who i wish you know all kids can see that and realize that it doesn't matter what we look like. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman or a boy or a girl. It just sends so many messages and vibrations to like, be able to say we are all human. I wanted to add to, because like I said, I
2: get this question a lot. I get it on Facebook. I get it from people that I know. I get it from every, you know, What can we do, white folks are saying, is good white folk who are genuinely um, looking to, to, to help. Um, one of the things i believe is very important that white people need to understand is that they are not qualified to decide what issue is race related or not what is this is racism this isn't this is then they're not if you want to learn about domestic violence you don't talk to the you know perpetrators that is issuing domestic violence you talk to the victims if you want to learn about racism and 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 the effects the irreversible effects of it you have to talk to the victims many times in, in our society white folks will say well i don't agree with that that's not racial that's not race related and they're not qualified because their pro- white privilege blinds them uh, from seeing it prohibits them from seeing and, and racism in our country is so embedded in every fabric of the institutions that govern our society you won't see it because a white person has to say they have to really know the difference between what they worked hard for in life and then which part had to do with white privilege. And it's hard. And so white privilege doesn't mean that white people don't struggle and white people don't work hard. White privilege means that you're going to get an interview because of your name. Or another person... Right, won't. And, and so that part, I think white people need to relinquish this expertise of most things to understand that we are the experts at identifying that and showing you, no, this is, this is um, white privilege. This is white racism. This is, and these are all agents of the overarching problem, which I consider to be white supremacy. And so if if you work for an institution that is systemically racist, then you become uh, uh, naturally an agent of white supremacy and where you may not be blatantly or overtly racist, but you could be perpetuating those things by working for a racist system. And that's a thing that people don't understand. Or you could benefit from white privilege and in many ways... Still, be perpetuating the racism that black people will see normally, and white people will say, "Well, no, that's just a personal thing that you're going through."
1: That brings up another thing for me because me and my husband were speaking last night, and we were talking about you know all of these companies and these different celebrities and stuff that are coming out with all of these statements and these things that support Black Lives Matter and donating all of this money to these different causes. And I said, you know, I said that's all commendable, but for me, it's like if you're that person, like there, there's realistic and practical ways that if you want to help to combat racism, you can do that. Like if you wanna impress me, Bank of America, don't like give a million dollars to you know, promote racial equality. Give the black person that's coming in the fair shot at the loan that you're giving the white person. Do you know what I'm saying? Like there's practical ways that all these different companies and celebrities and stuff can really combat and fight racism truly and, you know, champion for equality rather than trying to make themselves look good. Because that's what it looks like to me. It looks like, okay, I want to make myself look good. The Black Lives Matter movement is a thing to do right now. It's the end thing. So let me jump on this bandwagon when there's truly practical ways that your company and you as a person can truly combat racism if that's truly in your heart to do.
0: I think, and that brings up so many points. I think the other thing is when we talk about the individual, the white person who doesn't understand, who's probably trying to think about where did this come from? And it goes back to the values of how they were raised because we know that racism is a learned behavior. Right, we know that the idea of where racism comes from isn't because you you see it; it's because you're taught it, and it starts in the home. Doesn't start in school, although there are in institutions that will preach that and show you that. I hope I don't know about any of them. I know we we live in our own world where we we see it every single day where we work. But the idea for a young child to to, to understand racism, they don't know what it is. How do you how do you talk about that when um, when you have people who are trying to say, well, this is what I was taught, like it's maybe it's faith driven, too. Right. That's that's also a huge thing for people when you talk about values, you talk about where they come from and their faith is driving their racism and they don't know how to how to rid, rid themselves away of it. And you said, how
2: do you, how do you talk about that? Among, with who? How do you talk about it with in who? In general,
0: I mean, I think if you're having a conversation, there's a lot of people out there that probably don't, you know, they'll go back to say, well, I don't think that's the problem. I don't think there's racism in this. And it goes back to the idea of what their values are and where they come from. And, you know, they're, they're, they're seeing it because they're blind, right? They clearly don't know what's happening. And, and they're not educated enough to understand what they can do they haven't they haven't been woke yet right they haven't had that whether you want to call it the the faith based or the spiritual spiritual connection to to say i need to change this or i need to um you know look for an opportunity to to be able to connect with people um but at the same time when we have that conversation how do we tell someone and how do we engage with someone to be able to say you know how how has your how where do you think this idea for you being so racist came from? How do you think it started, and how do you peel back those layers?
2: Uh, you know, there's there's I guess you can only try. There's no, you know, absolute way. I, I liken it to to education. I liken it to sometimes I'll try to use that. Sometimes I'll try to use a scenario. Um, Sometimes you gotta be put in situations. Some people won't learn unless they go through it themselves. You know, um I I've I've been around people who said, you know, I, I got a call a few years ago from a woman I worked with her son and in, in basketball, and she apologized to me. She said, Man, I watched TV, I watched Baltimore, you know, I watched a parent run down, they're on TV. And the, the black woman took her son and got him off of the front line and said, I, you know, I need you alive. And the white woman said to me, she said, I'm crying because I never have to have that conversation with my son. I, I never have to worry. So sometimes, you know, um, people don't understand because it's not real for them. It's not their experience. It's it's not their reality. you know, we can tell people all day long, but unless they experience certain things, they may not they may not, you know, see it. And then you bring up a good point about faith. Um and and that's one of my struggles with, you know, um, you know, organized religion because, you know, I grew up Christian. I I that's just who that's what I was. I, I grew up African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church, believe in Jesus, and, and I still believe in God. I'm more spiritual than I am religious but what I do know is I study and I know that the Roman Catholic Church gave permission to certain European countries to conquer other nations in the name of Christianity mm-hmm. I know that in our country there's like 70 percent of our population is Christian but yet we have a lot of evil things that are happening you know and so I know as Christianity we are taught to you know, turn the other cheek and love our, our uh, oppressor, it, it, those who hate us. But it seems to me like the victim is the only one that's loving the person that's doing the wrong. And the person that's doing the wrong is not learning the victim, but everybody on both sides is Christian. And so, I, I you know, I, when you talk about that faith base, we have to be honest about stuff. And so we're going to be honest about Christianity, and I'm not going to talk about Judaism and Islam right now because I don't practice that. But if we're going to be honest about Christianity, we have to be honest about the fact that there's built-in racism and hatred within our religion. And people, some people practice it that way, but they say, "Hey, we go to church, we believe in God, we're, you know, this, and it, and it's okay." And, and if we're not, if we not, if we're not going to have conversations about that and be honest, if we think it's taboo to say that there's bad things that happen under the auspices of religion or Christianity, then we're never going to come to a common ground. But if you know the history, I'm not shocked when I see a Donald Trump or or, or a white supremacist or a KKK or anybody, the white nationalist movement, say we're doing this in the name of Christianity. I'm not shocked because the Roman Catholic Church issued the, the permission for certain countries to go take over and colonize other countries. And if they've been doing that for 500 years mm-hmm. it doesn't surprise me that christians will issue hate or put kids in cages and do evil acts and still go to church on sunday right i just
1: have to say i think that's every religion
2: <laughs> it is but i'm just yeah. gonna speak because i'm a christian and most people in america are christian but i think every religion deals with that they just don't want to have that conversation but i'm not saying christianity is worse than any religion i'm saying i can speak about christianity more than others because i i'm a christian <laughs> you, know what I mean? you are on mute you are on
1: mute
0: okay. so you know i i kind of want to wrap it up just to kind of think about you know Kind of segueing, what are some of the things that you think you'd want to leave people with as a tad bit? I know this is kind of a deep conversation. We can probably go in deeper and I think we can go talking about it for hours. What is the one thing you'd want someone to know um, today who's living and hearing and seeing perhaps about what they can um, learn about this experience and what's happening right now? Say that one more time, I'm sorry. What's the one thing you want people to know who are who are going through, who are living in this experience right now through the Black Lives Matter movement? And I think it's just beyond the Black Lives Matter movement. I think it's a combination of so many different things, but the ideation is under the layer of the Black Lives Matter movement. It's everything that's happening in our country that needs to change for social justice. But what would you want someone to know? For me,
1: the takeaway would be to share in people's experiences deep and i mean like not only like just listen to them but like try to learn as they're as these people are telling you about their experience or as you're seeing them go through these experiences share in that like share in that pain like really try to learn from that and i mean that in every way because as i say like with growing up with multicultural or whatever like trying to like learn stuff and and stuff now even, even that, even with going over my experiences, going back over my experiences of growing up and stuff, I, it's all a learning experience. So I just think that that's what people need. This is what we need more than ever is really sharing in each other's experiences and really being able to share those with each other and really not try to make them invalid. Like, I don't want to invalidate any of your experience or the way that you feel about what you've experienced. And I don't want you to do that for me either. Because I think that that happens a lot, too, even within the community of people of color. Because as I say, with growing up the way that I did, I don't feel like necessarily I was ever accepted in either group. So, you know, I just think that it's it's time for people to really start making people feel like their experiences are valid. Listen, sharing that pain, sharing that so that we can learn and we can grow.
2: Yeah, and I would just say just, just holding people accountable. Um, you know, when it comes to the white supremacy, white racism, white privilege in our country, um, those in power, white men created it, and they they bear the, the greatest part of the responsibility to fix this problem. It, Black people are the only group of people who has to you know, fix their own community or govern their own community. You know, no other group of people have to do that. And and, and and you know, when we talk about our issues or things, say we have an issue with police brutality, people bring up stuff like black on black violence. And it's just like we play a game in our country where we condemn people of color for things that we don't condemn other groups for. I think so we have to hold everybody accountable. But at the same time people of color you know they have a, to bear responsibility for the things that they have to do as well, and so we have to. You know, if, if there is a situation where, okay, let's say people are looking to fix a problem, whether they're part of the white establishment or not, and then if you are black and you are you're not helping, well, you got to get out the way too. You know, you can't continue to make matters worse, and so it's not a thing where it only falls on the white establishment. But make no mistake about it, white people in power. Created the problem, they're still in power, which means they have to fix it. All right. Um, so, so I think I think that's that's something that that needs to be said. And then those people who are in the fight, we have to keep fighting. Have to understand that change doesn't happen when things are just going status quo and everything is good. Change happens when things are you know uncomfortable. There is social you know unrest. People who are unhappy. Resistance works. that that's why people do it people stand up against things and eventually the tide changes eventually eventually the wall falls down right and so people have to stay in the fight and they have to continue 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 if you don't and you give up well people will still you know because people get away with what you allow them to get away with and Mm -hmm. our establishment and the people in power have been doing things for a long time and you know we
0: have to continue continue to stay in the fight so true so true. Well, I want to thank you both for taking the time to have this conversation with me to answer some deep questions and to really express what I think is really important and valuable right now because I think there's, there's a lot of education that needs to happen around this topic and the issues. And I would love to in the future see how this transpires and as we kind of continue to see the, the change and the movement grow, have more conversations. But I really appreciate both of you being on the show. I'll be sure to include. Um, your contact information if you're comfortable. So if people have questions, they want to have a further conversation with you in the show notes. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you.